Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. We've had several episodes on dates and times recently, and they've all been oriented around how to think about the data types being used and all the fun wrinkles there. However, it doesn't end with just that. The intent of the user when entering a date or a time matters a lot and can change the way you designed your system. In this episode, we're going to talk about different ways you might collect data and time information from your system's users and what that can mean for your system, as well as some gotchas to consider along the way. But before we get started, Will, what's gotcha this week? RSS feeds. Podcast (laughs) RSS feeds. So I'm, I'm writing the new site, and I'm trying to get the new site's RSS feed to be the same roughly as the old one. And it is unpleasant to try to compare a couple of three and a half meg XML files. Yep. Partially because XML is, you know, all non-deterministic partially because, Hey, some of the namespaces weren't even there, which meant some of the tags weren't in the second one. So I finally got frustrated and I hate to admit to this, but I've already been laughed at once. I wrote a WinForms app that basically pulled those two in and recursed down the nodes basically and, and dumps it out as like raw text, you know, sorting the nodes by their name and then sorting the attributes by their names. It was one line per node and I do the uh, indentation so that I can kind of see it. And then I bring it up in WinMerge. And that has worked remarkably well. Of course, I was talking to you right before we got on here. I was like, okay, I'm going to close Visual Studio because this code was written in anger with a couple of beers in me. But it seems to be working. So I'm relatively pleased with that. And then, of course, I was working on it at lunch yesterday. And I get done with it. And then I have to go to a meeting right after lunch. And within five minutes of starting the meeting, my boss referred to WinForms as old school technology that nobody uses anymore. <laughs> I was like, well, yes, somebody does. So that's my story for the week. How about you? Sleep deprivation. I'm actually drinking coffee right now, not tea. I've been staying up late the last couple of weeks working on school and everything is due now. I think our instructor kind of lost track of time in the semester. Uh, he seems kind of that a little scatterbrained grad student almost, and then realized that he didn't give us all the assignments. So I had one large program due last week, and then uh, the paper is due along with another assignment tomorrow. And I've got that assignment coded uh, except one half of it just isn't working because it's CUDA and apparently printf doesn't work in the device code when you're working with GPUs. I'm stuck. I have no idea. I was emailing him right before we 
got on here. We've been back and forth since about two days ago when I got to that part of writing the assignment. And he's helped me out a lot. I got a lot further in it, but yeah, I'm just stuck. And I was emailing him asking if he is available tomorrow during the day, like during my lunch break or something where I can hop on a call with him. Cause I have this feeling that it's some like configuration or it's something that I'm not passing into the compiler. Like he's going to look at it and go, Oh yeah, just do this and it'll work. And boom, the whole thing's going to work. I just got that feeling because it's at that point where it's like, all right, it has to be something simple that I just I don't know enough about it to do that. What uh, compiler are you using, by the way? NVCC, which uses GCC. Yeah. Okay. I'll talk to you about it after the episode. What's available on the server at school. So, but uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm probably going to talk to the guys in the aftercast, not during the aftercast, but I'm going to see if either of them has any experience with it because they might be like, Oh, dude, you're doing this really dumb thing. You fix that and it'll all work because, you know, that's how stuff like that works. In slightly better news along the same line, though, I got my Raspberry Pi cluster built and I, I would lift it up and show it to Will, but uh, it's all like wired in and everything. And I'm like, I don't want to mess it up. I, I did run into one issue where because of the way the tower is, all the pies are facing the same direction which is nice when you don't have a lot of space to put cords and stuff, except all the power cords plug into that one side and tend to pull it kind of tip the tower a little bit. So I have to, to watch that. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting, but uh, you know, I've got that built. It's all connected. All the configs are, are there. I've put the stuff I need to on it. Got a really cool concept. I'm going to work on, like code wise for it. It's going to be good. It's going to be interesting. I'll tell you more about it after I've written the paper tomorrow. I am stressed. It's not that I waited till the last minute because I've been talking about this thing for a couple of months now. I've been working on it, but I just I had to wait on some of the parts to get here. And then it just took time to put it all together and then put all the configs in there to get SSH set up. You have to go into each one and set that all up. And then you can like plug it into the the keyboard and and monitor, go into each one, do all these config stuff, and then go to the next one, do all that. It's just been a lot of work, a lot more work than I expected it to be. Yeah, I got a question for you on that, too. Is there a way, I hate to nerd out on this too much, but is there a way where you can like, copy the configuration from one to another one there's a little bit i found a tutorial on how to do that after i'd already put them all in there (laughs) um which is which is typical it still requires you going in because you have to configure it to use the same source so you still have to go into each one and and do that and copy it over yeah when i was putting slurm on it i found that and i was like oh well that would have been convenient when i was putting all this other stuff on there Wish I'd started with Slurm. (laughs) Yeah. And the thing is, you still have to go in. I guess I could have put it all on a flash drive and just plugged that into each one and copied it over. So, yeah. Uh, And finally, the Skillet concert that we're going to go to Friday. 
has been postponed until next month. Don't know why they didn't say just that it was postponed. It's a bit frustrating though. With my final being on Monday, I'm probably just going to take some rest. So the final is a project. So I might work on the project in that time, but uh, it's a Monday night now. So it's not going to affect the podcast, but uh, I might actually take some time off that Tuesday morning after the concert and, you know, sleep in. Yeah, you might need to. Yeah. So it's going to be fun though. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Everyone that's going with us was, was able to, to make it. So saving money is hard, especially when you have lots of trouble with dates. Yeah. But, uh, you're a married man. You, uh, you shouldn't have too much trouble getting a date with your wife. The higher expectations are more expensive, though. <laughs> so, guys, Lucas Casares is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And just like us here at CDP, he focuses on helping you not only establish a real plan for your finances, but also gives you the tools to take action on that plan so you can live your best life. Investing in financial planning services, it really comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances. With the help of Level Up Financial Planning, the compounding impact of making better financial decisions will easily pay for itself. Level Up also has a unique pricing model that will help you no matter where you are in your financial journey. So it's not too early to get started. Yeah, and the best part is that Lucas is a fiduciary for his clients, and that means that he's not trying to sell you a product, but he's here to help guide you to a better financial situation. So if you wanted to learn more, he's got a bunch of free resources and other stuff there at levelupfinancialplanning.com. While almost any coding language you use has at least a data type for dates and times, they're still going to be frustrating to work with. This is even true if your framework of choice has numerous data types that are supposed to handle all the different situations. While the human mind can handle dates and times fairly well, there's a lot of ambiguity in the way we express these in language. This includes the way these things are discussed in planning. Now, what makes this even worse is that you can often sound somewhat dumb when you ask for clarification around date and time issues, especially when talking to non-technical people. Because an intuitive understanding of time is very different from a technical one, almost any time uh, that a date or time comes up, you really need to break things down further. Actually, this came up today in a meeting for me. This episode came out of a meeting for me about two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's time. Yeah, (laughs) as it were. (laughs) So besides getting clarification on user intent with respect to dates and times, each approach requires careful attention to your infrastructure, system design, and the quirks of various parts of your platform. With these factors in the mix, code that looks right can be dreadfully wrong, have very weird oddball edge cases, or need to be overridden on occasion. Additionally, because dates and times are physical measurements, you also need to take variations in precision very carefully. You have to be aware of things that may cause you to have to adjust dates and times in some instances as well, largely because people have lives and schedules in those lives that may not work with what your system is doing. 
Depending on the intent of the user, even two otherwise equivalent date-time values may need to be handled in vastly different manners. Your users and even different parts of your system don't have the same view of time. A typical end user is going to want to see time expressed in their local time. Same thing with a typical support person. However, if the support person is impersonating a user, they're probably going to be better off seeing the time in terms of the end user's time instead of their own. Furthermore, depending on the nature of your application, your end user might want to do things different when they are, say, out of their normal time zone, traveling, that sort of stuff. System administrators and auditors will tend to want to view things in UTC time or in their local time, while external systems are likely going to require UTC or will let you specify. I know that was sort of the the issue that we were talking about today in a meeting was the way that the data loss in sending in a date time offset and then converting that to UTC for storage, but coming back, it's not resetting the offset. Yep. We've had that a few times. It's like a, uh, what, what do they call it when you have a, a lossy read or a lossy compression? It's like, or a copy of a copy type thing and the date will drift if you're not yeah. careful, you know, as it gets uh, read and written repeatedly. In this episode, we're going to discuss dates and times you know, kind of from the perspective of the intent of the user, along with some of the things you should consider in your design for each of these. We'll also discuss some things to watch out for with special emphasis on things that can make your code look completely correct while being completely wrong. So to get started, we'll talk about the simplest case possibly, which is actually the case where they're just inputting a date. We want this thing to happen on this date. So you'll do this for things like somebody's birthday, scheduling a payment by a date, you know, scheduling a day off for an employee. Of course, scheduling a day off is kind of a wobbly one because sometimes people do half days. But the simplest I've seen to work with was actually just a year. Yeah. Like it didn't matter when in that year, just it was for an inspection type thing. And it was like, all right, what year is the next inspection? Because it, it varied. And they did them all at the same time. They just need to know, okay, what year is the next one? Yeah. And so they would collect all, like when it was time to do inspections, they would collect all the ones for that year. And so, yeah. Of course, at that point, you're almost just using an integer. You know, oh, that's kind of what we did. Yeah. That's what I would do. Yeah. It wasn't really, it wasn't really a, a date that became an issue because when I was writing that they kept referring to it as a date. So we created it as a date and then it was like, all right, it's a date, but we just want to display the year. And then we had all the date time issues till we finally got out of the business people, what they actually wanted. And I was like, Oh yeah, let's just do that as an integer. Yeah. Computers are (laughs) real good with integers. Turns out. Uh, (laughs) The thing here is that the date being requested by the user needs to be respected and not altered by the system to some other date unintentionally. (laughs) Yeah. I guess is probably the best way to put that. Now, 
this gets hairy once you get time zones in the mix. So like if you collected a date as a date time, especially when you're using it for scheduling and you've got a time component on there, a time zone shift might cause that to change when it goes to server time or to UTC. UTC is especially good when you're central time US because it'll hit you enough to be a problem, but not enough that you immediately notice it. Or, well, I mean, living right on the edge of a time zone shift is complicated because where I go to school is actually in a different time zone than where I live, which is made for some interesting scheduling issues with professors. It's like, is this in my time or your time? Yeah. The other thing is where they don't do things like um, daylight savings times. Yeah, that's a whole nother bit of fun. There's really a bunch of stuff there. So like if you're collecting a date for scheduling or for somebody's birthday, especially if it's a schedule that does not require a time component, you really don't want to be passing that back and forth because that's increasing the unlucky surface area of your application. Even if you get everything right, the next developer may not. Yeah, that was that I've run into that quite a few times where it's just even if you're you're converting everything to UTC, you're still off by six hours and so like scheduling stuff and like especially when it's all right, uh one of them was uh scheduled inspections on the date. So depending on when they pulled their list. So they didn't do it at six o'clock the night before. Yeah. Yeah. I've had that a few times. We we eventually got around it, but yeah, it was a pain. Yeah. You you take it in in the user's time zone and then you convert to your own for the scheduling purposes, typically UTC. Really at the core, you're almost always better off if your servers are on UTC just because of this kind of problem. You just have to remember to show the date in the user's default time zone when you show it back to them or when support is impersonating them, because otherwise they get confused and they call support, who then get confused and call you. And as a developer, that's one of your goals is to not talk to support any more than you have to. Now, sysadmins and external systems are still going to need to see those dates in terms of their own time zones or UTC, if that's what your infrastructure is on. And you're going to have to be consistent about this across the board. Otherwise, they're having to do conversions while they're trying to troubleshoot something. And it's not, you know, easy to do that. Like when you're trying to literally line stuff up and go, okay, what happened? You know, what was the sequence of events here? And they're all in different time zones. That's, I've been through that a few times. That's not something I enjoyed. I anticipate being able to go through that experience again fairly soon, actually. It gets really tricky too when you're integrating newer systems with older systems because the older systems may not be able to do conversions to UTC so they're going to be in local time yeah or the developers who wrote the older stuff just didn't know how to do that well and there a lot of times the stuff wasn't there depending on how old it was or it wasn't well documented or it wasn't stable or yeah like you know back in the day we would build software and we used local time for everything mm mm-hmm. mhm because that just let, you know, the sysadmin could go, okay, it's 2.30, this happened about 2.15, I can look for 2.15 in the logs, done. And, you know, that that worked in a not so deeply connected world. It just doesn't work now, especially once you get mobile phones into the mix. That seems oh, to be yeah. one of the things that really drives it, because it's not just that your users may be in a different time zone, 
they may change time zones between requests. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. And so like the cell phone thing basically meant that programmers like myself and yourself don't have to argue with management because the users are doing it for us. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You don't have to go, Hey, you're wrong. They go, Hey, we're wrong. It's like, great. We can have a conversation about this now. Yeah. That's, that's how that works. So the next one is just the time and only the time. In some cases, you may not be interested in the date at all, and you'll only need to collect the time. A common use case for this is when you need to do something every single day at a specific time. The key to this is that you don't care about the date portion. Actually, the other day, my sister texted me, and she's like, hey, you can leave reminders on mom's Alexa, right? I'm like, not remotely like when I'm over there. Cause I prank my mom and I remind her to poop randomly at just different days and times. <laughs> um, you know, we're all 12 year olds at heart. Yeah. So my sister was like, well, when she was up here, she kept forgetting to take her meds. And I was like, Oh yeah, sure. Next time I'm over there, I'll just put in a daily reminder for her because you can do that on Alexa. You can be like, Hey, remind me this every day. So I went over there today and I was like, Alexa, remind me to take my meds at 8.30 a.m. every day. And my mom's like, well, that's not going to work because your meds are at your place and so are you. And I'm like, mom, that wasn't for me. That was for you. Because she'll go, she'll <laughs> go, like, I'll, she'll hear a prank or something from me and she'll be like, Alexa, remind BJ this. And I'm like, that's not how that works, mom. <laughs> She don't know me, mama. <laughs> yeah, it's it's entertaining when somebody gets a little, they, they have it half yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, ah. you're almost there. Yeah. Yeah. You're just not yeah. quite. Um, you know, the key here is not, you know, is that you don't care about the date portion typically um, in these types of scenarios. You know, it's it's a time to a time or a time range, which we'll discuss here in a bit. When you collect this information from the user, you're probably best off setting the time on a date object with the date set for today in the user's time zone and then adjusting to server time once the call goes server side. Because remember, you still have to do you know, daylight savings times adjustments, UTC adjustments if the server is going to be dispatching. If the client's going to be dispatching, you keep it in their time zone. But if you're syncing it across to the server, you need to put it in the server time zone and then it gets to be a snarl real quick. When displaying this to the user, you're going to need to convert back to their local time zone. Now, this gets tricky when you don't know whether or not the server converted it to UTC. Right. Or as I ran into with one thing I was dealing with an API, an older API that assumed the time zone and manually converted, didn't use like a, a function. So it was just like subtract yep. to this many hours. Or actually it should be add. I've got one better than that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, string manipulation. Oh yeah. <laughs> like slice it into pieces. Add Modulo 24. <laughs> I was not happy when I found that one. And that was not very long ago yeah. either. Yeah. yeah, this is uh, 
this is something you've got to be kind of careful about because, you know, this tends to be for scheduling purposes and you need to figure out where the thing occurs on is and where the schedule is dispatched from and what the differences on time zones might be and they may not stay the same. So this is something to pay a lot of attention to. Now, again, your sysadmins and your external systems are going to need to see these either in their local time or in UTC time, probably UTC, honestly, at that point, because it's just, it's like, it's going to be a mess anyway. Notice I said, you know, past the date in, you can always slice the time off once you've made the adjustment. Um, You know, if you're putting it into some kind of task scheduling system or running a cron job, for instance, off of it, you may have to do something like that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's always interesting talking to a third party system because you like if they have poor documentation which i've been dealing with several lately you just have to throw something at it and find out hey are they expecting utc are they expecting like my time and converting to their own or are they expecting me to convert to their local server time well and the other fun piece too is when they um you know they read your time and they go oh you, know, you have hours that are greater than 12, therefore you're on military time. We know, you know, we know what that is. But if you pass it the wrong way, it assumes AM or PM. That's a fun one too. When suddenly stuff is getting dispatched at two o'clock in the afternoon and you're like, what's happening? Why is the server farm going down? Not that I've ever seen that one before either. That was a long time ago, thankfully, though. So those people, I think they're out of business now, actually. So <laughs> Usually the the universal format that like almost everyone uses eighty six oh one. It's um I couldn't remember the number, but uh yeah. It's in twenty four hour, so it makes it easier to Yeah, I tend to prefer military time for that stuff because if I'm looking at logs and like looking at my clock, it's just like that's that's an addition I don't have to do, even though it's a small one, it's just like ah just skip that step. So Next, we have date ranges. Uh, This is another fun one I've dealt with recently. In this case, users are entering dates within a range. Really, date ranges. That makes sense. Well, (laughs) sorry. I had to to pick on Wolfer as his outlining there. Um, One or both dates may be nullable. This is often used to indicate that something only occurs during a particular date range, like a hotel stay the times for a sale searching. This is where I've had to deal with it. Yeah. Reports. Yeah. Um, and you're generally going to treat both dates in this case, the same as you would treat other date only input fields. And that's the easy part. It gets interesting when nulls start getting involved. So for instance, a null start date on a date range can generally be understood to mean starting now, not at the beginning of time. And where this comes in is when you start doing billing based off of how long the date range is or how much the date range is used. And you started with null. Cause you can really drastically overbill people if you do that. Um, and you can calculate other things really, really wrong. And you may not run into a user that leaves it null or leaves it empty for a while. And so it gets out of production before you catch it, especially if, you know, if your QAs are not, you know, mildly psychotic enough to go and find that. I I haven't dealt with it that way. I hadn't thought about that, um, that use of the null because I've done it with the searches. So a null in a date range in a search date range 
basically means if it's the first that's null, the start date that's null, then anything before the end date is what it's looking for and vice versa. But uh, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it from that because that's how I've always, everything I've done with date ranges has basically been uh search the last couple of years. I had an interesting thing where um, because of the way this older third party application, their API was set up. If you wanted to search for everything that happened on a particular day, you had to pay, pass in a date range of midnight on that day to midnight on the next day because they they stored okay like yeah. they stored the time and so you couldn't search by just the date it had to be date time so you had to search like in that range which was fine but that also told me when i built the date range search for that particular functionality that i had to search from midnight on the date you know basically zero zero on the start date to midnight the day after the end date right well that's actually the thing where you know there was the next one uh it's really important to know whether that time range your date range is inclusive because you get bit by that all the time and what's really irritating about this is you'll do it one way and the developer down the hall will do it a different way unless you have a standard that everybody applies equally and QA checks, it will get out of sync. Yeah. And even if you get that right, it's going to get out of sync with any third party that you're interacting with too. The other fun thing is when you have things where you've got date ranges that have other date ranges in it. <laughs> yep. And business rules around those and you got to move them around. So like, you know, we had a product um, at a previous gig that uh, kind of managed uh, print mail campaigns and it had a start date and end date. Right. And then you had different things that could be sent out with date ranges on them and the frequency with which one of those would get overlapped with the other was so bad. We finally took the date range off the contained objects and you said, you can't do it. It's just in this range of the, the bigger thing that contains them. The little ones don't have it because it was, it was a nightmare trying to, trying to fix all that. Yeah, I can see that. Cause I just think about just simple podcast episode scheduling because like, we release the episode at 1 a.m. our time, which I think is midnight server time, which is why we started doing that. And that's scheduled. We don't stay up to 1 a.m. to release that anymore. Yeah. Right. I never did. I, mean, I, did. I did. I think I checked it a few I did times. To, but to make yeah. sure it went out. But then the aftercast gets sent out 12 hours later at 1 p.m. Right. So, yeah. So speaking of date ranges, they are similar to or date ranges, time ranges. Time ranges are similar to date ranges where the user is going to need to select a range of times. And this is probably less common, but you still might find yourself using date or time ranges for things like scheduling shifts and that sort of stuff. Yeah, you're kind of unlikely to see a, a case with a time range that is null on either end. Like if it was just a time, because you know, that, that rolls over soon, right? Like, so it doesn't make a ton of sense, but, and you're also not likely to run into cases where the ends are non-inclusive or where you care that much 
because of the level of precision. There's not much stuff that's going to be outside of it. If it should be in the end, if there's ambiguity, uh, you're not going to see that much. So you can generally treat both ends of the time input the same way that you would treat a single time input. Yeah. Now, while with time ranges, you don't have to worry about the inclusivity, you do have to worry about latency and things like transient system failures between parts of your system if the times are critical. Uh, For instance, if your business is contractually required to deliver something within a particular time range, recording that time near the ends needs to be done carefully and with consideration toward that latency. Yeah. So like, for instance, if you say, hey, we can transcribe your podcast episode and have it back to you in an hour. Okay. You're going to have to be very, very clear on your terms. When does that time kick off? What's the beginning and when does it end? And I probably don't want the SMTP or Dropbox or whatever payload, you know, that latency in the mix. Yeah. You'll also want to make sure that you always store the time zone with the times, especially when you have third parties involved. Uh, At some point, you're almost certainly going to have to try and track down why something stopped working across multiple environments. And this is going to help you avoid making incorrect assumptions and just making things more difficult on yourself. So, you know, given that, now we talk about the next fun thing that you'll see in apps. um, And that is dates and times or date and time spans after an event or before a deadline. Right? So instead of these being anchored absolutely in time, they're now relative to another absolutely positioned in time point. If you understand the way I just phrased that and you've had that experience in CSS, you know what we're about to say because time is just the fourth dimension. (laughs) So basically, sometimes instead of expressing when something occurs in an absolute sense, it's better to express it relative to something else occurring. The critical date might be changed manually later And your users will expect the dates attached to that date to change along with it. Now, that's kind of like the podcast release, right? Like if we said, hey, we send out emails eight hours after the podcast comes out and the aftercast comes out 12 hours after and we do something else and all these things are tied together. And for some reason, the podcast episode comes out a day late. Those other things need to move with it or they're going to be really disjointed, messed up. And so when you're doing that kind of scheduling, you kind of have to bear that in mind. Like back when we used to uh, release at midnight and I think the host went down or something for maintenance at midnight, it was only down for like five minutes. But WordPress at that point in time, if that five minutes happened to be at the time when the episode was supposed to release, it wouldn't like it wouldn't publish it based on their scheduling. Because it didn't go in and come back up and go, oh, hey, are there any, you know, is there anything that's like, uh, it, it, I don't know how they had it set up, but it didn't do it. And it was a pain because like Will said, it was reliable. Yeah, it's reliable when you're tired. That's when it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. In this case, you do have a few interesting considerations. First, you need to store the offsets in terms of, you know, days, hours, minutes, etc., However, you probably also need to pre-calculate the relevant dates and times because you're probably going to be querying those. 
So you have to have the offset for the user so they can mess with it. And then you have to calculate what that's going to be and shove that in the database too. So it's there for querying. Yeah, because it's annoying when you're trying to like pull something by when does this end? And all you have are start dates and offsets. Right. I've done that. Uh, there was a calculated a computed column added later that day. <laughs> um, yeah. Didn't ask anybody. It just got put there. Problem solved. I've, I've done that too. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's why I mentioned it. You also have to be careful about validation with this. When the critical date changes, any dates relative to that date will change and could potentially change to something that's not valid. Right. So this is kind of a prompt for design decisions. I guess, actually, let's, let's talk about what this could be. For instance, you say, hey, we're going to deliver this three days after you close on your house. Okay, I'm closing on my house December 15th. Great. It'll be here December 18th. Uh, then the closing on the house gets pushed back to say December 22nd. Are you delivering that thing on Christmas Day? Can you deliver it on Christmas Day? There's a potential business rule sticking out like a nail in a step that you're going to trip on and you're going to roll down. So you need to start asking about it when, when these things come up. Yeah, that's like um, when I moved into my house, uh, since I'd have all the guys out here, I scheduled to have my new furniture delivered that day. And, you know, my mom came over and sat at the house waiting on them to deliver the furniture while we loaded the truck up in Nashville and drove it down. And the furniture, I think, uh, she said it got here and they brought it in maybe 30 minutes before we arrived. That can be very important because if like we had to, if it had rained or something and we had to change the move date. Yeah. And imagine what happens when you have things tied at either end. So something has to be there by deadline, but it can't be shipped until some other thing is hit and that thing gets moved. Now you're getting into like logistics problems that shut down the lines at a factory and cost a hundred dollars a minute or, you know, calls worse, probably Amazon to consistently be late on one part for your project. Like, I don't know what happened. It was, it was the power supply. And I'm like, why, why is this? It was supposed to be one day delivery. And it kept getting pushed back. And finally, the last one, it was going to be here after the project was due. And I'm like, yeah, I can't do that. That doesn't work yeah. for me. So I just went to Walmart and bought something. But I'm like, you know, you're supposed to be convenient. And yeah. So anyway, sorry. I'm a little frustrated about that one. I can't imagine that going to Walmart isn't convenient and fun and something you enjoy. Yeah. Well. So when you're in a design meeting, you have to ask a lot of questions about business rules when these types of conditions are occurring. Uh, these can get really, really complicated really quick, especially when things like contractual obligations, laws, tax periods, and that kind of stuff are in the mix. You have to be very, very careful and document thoroughly so that you're not the one going under the bus when this is wrong the first five times. Yeah. Because I've seen that one. <laughs> you also need to make sure that some resilience to disruption is built in when scheduling. It's much easier to deliver something at eight plus or minus two hours the day after a document is signed than to deliver the same thing at exactly eight. 
and well didn't put a yeah. am or pm so i'm just gonna like leave it yeah <laughs> well that's called yeah room, right? well and a lot of time uh the business people don't think about stuff like this until they're prompted to do so this hit my brother-in-law recently they just bought a new house and my mom went up helped him move some stuff over and then while she was up there they signed the final papers on selling their old house and like she'd been after him to clean out the garage and the basement and stuff and she's like all right well you know you're signing them wednesday you got to get your stuff out and I guess he just didn't think about it when writing up the contract because after he signed the papers, he's like, all right, you have to have everything out by midnight. Yep. <laughs> I got hit on that on this house, actually, because you yeah, were there. <laughs> you remember. I literally got hit, actually. I think a table fell on me and something <laughs> else happened. There's a bunch of injuries because we had to scramble to get out in time. And yeah, you don't want that in your business. You don't want it in your personal life either, but when it's a regular part of business operations that gets very lawyery very quickly. Another type you'll run into is recurring date schedules. So you'll occasionally see situations where things are scheduled to occur on a particular day of the month, every month. Uh, typically the user will simply pick the numerical value of the date from a dropdown or some other input. This gets interesting as well. Yeah. For one thing, dates near the end of the month will require some business logic to handle appropriately due to months having different lengths, especially when some months have different lengths depending on the year. The the thing you can do with that is to limit the date to the 28th and no later. It sort of depends on the business. Do you remember that JavaScript little app that I wrote? Uh Because we couldn't... It was an iCal generator when we first started the podcast because we wanted an enumerated list of what each episode was going to be when it came out because they come out on the same day. But I could do something to where like, all right, this is a recurring event, but I couldn't change. I couldn't be like episode one, episode two, episode three, episode four. We wanted to be able to see what episode number would be coming out on a given Thursday. And uh, yeah, so I built this iCal generator and that was one of the things I had to deal with because it was in vanilla JavaScript because someone wouldn't let me use jQuery back in the day. Well, you know, you had to have the experience so that you knew that you didn't want to do it again. <laughs> That's He says that about a lot that of things. Is the proper purpose of hazing. <laughs> Well, it was kind of fun watching you squirm too. So it's it's good for you though. You know, you, it, like you didn't suggest that in a professional environment. That's true. <laughs> after I did that to you, right? So it worked. <laughs> yeah, most most wisdom of older coders is due to basically dropping a hammer on your foot and going, ow, that hurts. I won't do that anymore. If something being done on a particular day requires limited resources, you also need to make sure that those resources are sufficient. So, for instance, if your users schedule a pest control visit on a particular day, you have to make sure that you have enough people to actually deliver on that particular day and that other days are neither overloaded nor slow to the best of your ability, which is going to be limited because people are constantly moving their schedule around. Uh, This gets really quirky like at the end of the month when you're potentially doing five days worth of work on the 28th. Yeah, it's not ideal. I'll just put it that way. Um, 
I, I imagine some of those companies probably do trainings, <laughs> you know, from the 29th to the 31st. It's like, yeah, those are training days because otherwise the scheduling gets ugly. This gets even more fun as well with computing resources because those are limited. And you may not be thinking about what happens when this thing scales. And hey, all the personnel resources, we scaled those up, but you know, something hits on midnight on the 15th and everybody's got their automatic withdrawal happening and we've got thousands and thousands of transactions coming through. With recurring date schedules, um, you also have to consider what needs to happen if a day is missed. You know, does it need to be made up? If so, what's the logic for doing or can it be skipped? What needs to happen on the next event if you do so? Like with this, I just think about like taking medication because some medicines, if you miss, they're like, all right, we'll just double up the next time. Some of them, it's all right, we'll just wait until the next one or depending on the mechanism. Yeah, I would imagine that's it's different between like laxatives and heart medicine. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So, yeah, yeah. You'd be surprised though. Doubling up. <laughs> You'll also see things like weekday scheduling and other kind of weird stuff. So you may see date time inputs that are listed in a recurring manner based on the day of the week or some other really odd anchor point, such as like the third Wednesday of the month. Your computer systems and the people that build them, that would be us, have a preference for real dates and times. This is often not the case in the outside world. So like a cleaning crew, for instance, you know, coming to your house on the first you know, and, and third Tuesday of every month. Well, what are those days? Well, it's different every month because we don't care about the date. We care about the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that can be very complicated. While the inputs for these may or may not be very complex, there's a lot of interesting things that happens when you consider how you're going to store the data so that it can be altered later by the user and so that it can be available to the rest of the system and that becomes <laughs> interesting. Yeah. The other fun part is, again, that resource contention that we talked about before. This will happen here and users will drive it in just really idiotic ways, especially when they, you know, they reschedule and go, oh, I want the last Friday before Christmas. I want my house cleaned. Well, guess what? So does everybody else. So you can get yourself in real trouble really quick if you're not careful about it. Yeah. So. Next, we're going to talk about timestamps. While users typically don't enter timestamps, systems are expected to do so. Timestamps are especially important because they often are used in regulatory compliance, system troubleshooting, audits. Uh, we had a whole episode on audits not long ago, and support systems. They have to be accurate and often are not. Yeah, um, timestamps also have to be handled kind of holistically um, across the system due to the need to correlate them across a big chunk of the system. This means you have to be careful about where they're taken due to latency, when they're taken in a process, like due to potentially needing to record multiple events in a consistent manner for timings. You know, if you're doing it at different parts of the app, you know, one part you're doing it on the front end, one part you're doing it in the middle tier, one part you're doing it in the database, one part you're doing it when the Lambda comes back, you're going to have a bad time. Your sysadmins are probably going to be content to view timestamps in terms of UTC. Um, I would not put that expectation on the auditors, regulatory agencies, or any lawyer 
pretty much. If you get a lawyer that is comfortable with UTC, you need to hang on to that one. That's just not something you see much. You know, it's great if they can handle it, but it's a lot better if they don't have to. Also think about what happens when these things go to court and they get used. Say, why is this off by six hours? Trying to explain that there are different time zones on the planet to people that weren't able to get out of jury duty is probably not something you want to be doing. Now, as in previous cases, be aware of how timestamps are impacted by things like system failures, queues getting backed up, those sorts of things. Make sure that those events are visible based on timestamps if timestamps are required for your regulatory purposes or processes, or if you expect to use them as part of troubleshooting. And if you don't expect to use them as part of troubleshooting, do it anyway because you're going to. <laughs> I don't know why I put put it that way in the outline. Sorry about that. <laughs> I literally can't think of a time that I've not needed that badly. So the final case is interesting and you won't see it much, but these are time inputs that are tied to some real world event. And what I mean by real world is not digital, not your normal calendar. So for instance, you'll see examples of of this in some systems for things like the tides. Like you may not be able to get a ship to go through some area when the tide is low because it'll run aground and you have to time things to take advantage of that. Potentially with offsets, as we discussed earlier, by the way. Um, So if you're doing logistics type stuff, you might see things like, you know, full moons, which, okay, you're not going to use much, but maybe you're running something where you need to have a bunch of light at night and that's important. Or you have holidays that are based on solar and lunar calendars, which is more common. Now, the thing with full moons, I know a lot of emergency room workers who would really, really appreciate uh, an application that uh, warned them of full upcoming full moons so they could uh, schedule around them because, you know. Yeah, just have like a a Lambda function that (laughs) sends them an email. Actually, it'd be a great way to get an email list of those people. (laughs) Yo, dog, it's coming. (laughs) Wow. Man, that is a really good idea. Sorry I came up with that on the air. Uh, These include things like uh, calculating dusk, dawn, and, you know, sunrise, sunset, those sorts of things. The the best hour for photography. That'd be another fun little thing to, to do. Yeah. They are things that occur on a regular, predictable basis, but aren't used much on calendars. Yeah, you know, like the the lunar cycle, you know, when the full moon and when the new moon is going to be, that is very predictable, very regular, but it's not really based on the calendar. Right. The old calendars were based yeah. on it. Yeah. And the new ones are not, which kind of brings us to the next point. You're possibly going to see this a lot for religious celebrations. So, for instance, you know, Passover, Diwali. I think Ramadan is scheduled on a lunar calendar as well, if I remember correctly, which Ramadan's going on right now, so I should know this. But let's say that your system is supposed to provide stuff for, you know, a Passover setter plate, like you're delivering that stuff. Well, if you get the date of Passover wrong, that's not going to work so well. And that's not tied to a calendar. Now, when you're calculating dates in this manner, it's probably better to use a well-maintained third-party calculator that is geared towards doing that. And then you store the dates and times formatted in your normal calendar so the rest of the system can use them. Like, don't convert 
everything in your system to a lunar calendar just because one part uses it. That's not cool. Yeah, I, I was thinking that because I was like, there's so many different things, times that I've used another calendar, like even just with, say, the every Tuesday and Thursday kind of thing. There are libraries that that will do that for you so you don't have to deal with that. Yeah, it sounds good. It's like writing a good logging component. It sounds like it would be easy until you start thinking about all the uh, edge cases. and Yeah. And then it sounds horrifying and you don't want to touch it and you're willing to pay for somebody else to touch it. Also, it may be wise to store relevant dates and times in another table so that you can cross compare to system events, you know, if that's relevant. Uh, this isn't so much because the dates you're storing are incorrect, but more because many of the people troubleshooting your system are not going to have that kind of instinctive understanding. And so like they see a huge spike in donations to the Catholic Church on Christmas. And you've got programmers in India that they're not on that calendar. You kind of want that somewhere where they can get to it. While in the past we've talked about dates and times for more of a data type understanding, it's also important to understand how dates and times are expressed by users and different parts of a system. While dates and times are complex enough on their own, it gets even more complex once you take into account the way that people and outside systems may wish to interact with your system. Far from just recording all dates and times with a single data type that serves all purposes, you're going to have to kind of adapt a little bit. You're going to have to consider your users or systems intent and then how you're likely to need that data you know, to work with that information. It's more than just knowing a bit about data types. You're actually going to have to really think through what the data types may imply about business logic and system design if you want to do well here. That pretty much wraps us up. Beach, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? So when dealing with dates and times, it's important to understand the intent of the user. That's what Will was just talking about, or the intent of the application you're building. And this will guide you in how you're to build or design your code to work with a very abstract concept. Understanding intent, though, is kind of its own abstract concept as it can be applied to more than just helping you know how to write your code. You know, knowing what motivates others or as what they intend will help you in almost any scenario. Uh, for example, like when dealing with business people, knowing their motivations and intents can guide your explanations to them or how you present information. Yeah, you know, they may not care that you can make an application so many times faster but they may be extremely concerned about the security of their data or vice versa. They might be like, yeah, whatever the data is not, it's not anything that if it got out would matter, but you know, we need to be able to do things snappy when interviewing for a job or dealing with management, understanding their intents and motivations will let you know how your performance is going to be measured and what you can do to look your best. Basically, what I'm getting at here, guys, is learn to read what motivates others and what intents they have. That's sort of been a big theme, like understanding yourself and others, the motivations this whole year as we're looking into them in our Enneagram episodes. So if you're like, you know, that sounds really cool, but I don't know how to do that. Check out those episodes. And uh, while you're at it, check out the aftercast uh, where we're going to talk about some time integration points and API standards. That's all I got. 
If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash completedeveloperpodcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.